Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in and hope you had a wonderful weekend. Got a lot to get to today. Uh, The third segment today, we will be talking about some headlines of things that uh, took place over the weekend and at the end of last week that we didn't get to address on the podcasts. Um, There's some interesting things coming out of uh, government, of course, and the World Economic Forum and what's happening Oh, Lord, there's so much. Um, There's even a British microchip implant that uh, they're taking hand swipe payments to the next level. We'll talk a little bit about that, how that relates to Bible prophecy. Um, Also, there's some plans to uh, give the World Health Organization a little bit uh, too much power, and the Biden administration is all in for that, it seems. So we'll talk about that and a couple other headlines and this new movie documentary by Dinesh D'Souza called 2,000 Mules. We haven't talked a lot about it. It's out now, and we'll just uh, give you a little brief rundown. But we are going to talk primarily today about getting a proper balance in your life when it comes to technology, social media. And I've got a book in my hand here called Digital Detox. So I can't wait to dive into this. Adults need this just as much as kids uh, sometimes. So let's open up as we always do. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another day that you have made. We recognize your sovereignty over our lives. We trust you in all things, and we give you glory for another day to hopefully um, glorify you, Jesus, and point people to the truth of Christ And, Lord, use us today in whatever way you will. Direct us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your power in our lives. And we understand and acknowledge that greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. Uh, Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain hearts of wisdom. And uh, give us better time management techniques and principles for those who need help with all the information that's bombarding us Uh, Whenever we're awake in our waking hours, Lord, we uh, need a proper balance from a biblical perspective. So show us how to do that, some practical steps, and just uh, encourage those who are listening right now who just need a little bit of of joy in their lives, a little bit of encouragement today. Touch their hearts. Uh, We love you, Lord. We uh, thank you again for another day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're blessed to have an author about of the book Digital Detox, Molly DeFrank. She's the founder of the online Digital Detox, where she helps free families from their addictions to devices. You know, we've talked a lot about that on this podcast, and uh, she has a degree in international relations. She also worked as a press aide for former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and these days she's a stay-at-home mom and foster mom to six kids ages 12 and under. Molly DeFrank, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time out there in California. We uh, appreciate this kind of book, and we appreciate the practical help it can give to those who are struggling, really, to um, um, fast, take a break, detox. So before we dive into the book, Molly, and I've got a lot of questions about, of course, uh, this process and how you came up with it. Share a little bit about your background. A lot of our, our listeners are, you know, they keep an eye on political um, you know, the, the all kinds of things, whether it's in our state, whether it's nationwide, whether it's out there in California. So y- before you came to be a press aide for Arnold Schwarzenegger, share a little bit about your Christian background and uh, just a little bit about uh, your your history so people can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, well, I was born and raised in Southern California, um, and I was I actually grew up Catholic. I'm going to church every Sunday. My parents really instilled... Um, a love of God in our home. Um, and when I was in high school, I started going to a church in Simi Valley. Um, I actually watched my brother have a major life conversion. It was incredible watching um, God take, get a hold of his life hmm. and started going to his church, who was incidentally it was Francis Chan's church. 
um, when it was a little bitty church uh, <laughs> out there. And so, um, yeah, I really heard the gospel very clearly, and um, God just got a hold of my life. I just wanted to to live for Him and dedicate all of it to Him. And um, yeah, I met my husband in college up at UC Davis, so up in Northern California. Okay. And then um, got a job working for for the governor uh, right after graduation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was a great experience. Now I live in Central California, and um, mom to six, and really blessed and grateful. So you moved pretty much out of high school up to Northern California then, correct? Yes, I did. I went straight to uh, UC Davis up there. It was, I think it started as um, long ago as Berkeley's like farm school, but now it's this <laughs> giant <laughs> school and it's a really quaint little college town. So we, we had a great time there. So you met your husband in college there. Is he from that area, Northern California? He's actually from Central California. Okay. Um, but yeah, we met we met up at UC Davis, and um, it was just a really good experience there. Um, funny thing, he actually interned at the governor's office, too, and worked there. And um, he was working for the governor in his private office when he, the day he proposed to me, he, the, the secretary, the governor's secretary, had told the governor, oh, David's about to propose to to his girlfriend. And then we were young. We got married right out of college. And <laughs> he, the governor said, how old are you? And uh, David said, oh, I'm I'm 20. And he said, oh, you can't even drink at your own wedding. <laughs> and we're like, well, so anyway, that, that was kind of funny. But um, but yeah, he it was a great experience living up there. Love California, you know. So, yeah. So, my goodness, most a lot of our listeners would probably just love to talk to your husband about some some of the inside stories there uh, about Governor Schwarzenegger. But that's that may be for another podcast. Uh, but we're here to talk about your new book. It's called Digital Detox, um, it, and this is so important. We've been talking about the principle of the hours of influence, particularly when it comes to children and. Uh, when they form their worldview at such young ages. So, Molly, how did you, and uh, how old were your kids when you decided something's got to give? Tell us how you came to that conclusion and uh, wanted to do this detox for your kids. Yeah, absolutely. This is such a huge issue. I mean, for all parents who are just living in this tech world today, but especially for Christian parents, um, you know, this is a common grace from God. I believe it. it's helpful to all parents generally, but for the believing parent, um, it is exactly what you said. It's an issue of worldview formation, discipleship, who is informing what your kids believe and how they see the world. And for us, frankly, when we got started on this thing, it wasn't, um, you know, a giant thought out process. It was simply that I'd had enough. I'd had enough of the meltdowns after screen time or the, you know, sibling fights that were kind of next level. Um, you know, I, I was a, the youngest of four kids, and so I've seen sibling arguments, mm -hmm. but what I was seeing in my kids was next level. It was amped up. There was something else going on, and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I knew that right after screen time, the kids' meltdowns, it was worse. And they really struggled to transition from a screen to not a screen. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of these nudges over time. Um, you know, we were early adopters of the tablets and handing over the phone to your kid in a restaurant, the little ones. Oh. And initially, <laughs> we would think, oh, wow, how great. It's occupying that. Oh, they're learning. It's educational. And we bought into this marketing. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the marketing didn't even match what these tech giants, how they act with their own kids. They're some of the strictest parents when it comes to technology for their own kids. Of course, I didn't know any of this when we got into it. I was kind of foraging my way here just with mother's intuition. Um, but I'm so glad that we pulled the plug. And I did it, frankly, because probably like a lot of your listeners who are good parents, they were we were already trying to monitor screen time, you know, an hour a day. And I thought that was pretty responsible because that's what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. And still we saw the effect. So what we found was adjusting minutes of daily screen time, it just wasn't working. So it wasn't until we pulled the plug completely and took a cold turkey break wow. that we actually saw the transformation. Well, there's so many questions I, I could have to follow up, but I, I want to ask you the practical steps. Now, we've got Memorial Day weekend coming up, um, and I read in your book that, that a vacation time for family, when both parents are off work and can spend time with the kids, that's one of the most ideal times to unplug. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, what you would recommend? Definitely. So 
The reason why the detox works, and I didn't know this, but I know it now, and, and I really um, included a lot of research and data to support why science um, really backs up the detox and what is going on behind the scenes. But the reason why I recommend beginning on a weekend or even at the beginning of summer, Memorial Day weekend is perfect, is because you're actually resetting your children's dopamine levels in their brain. Our kids' devices, our own devices, are wired. These apps, these games, they're engineered to release excessive amounts of dopamine in their brains. So the, the amount of which we've never seen before. So that's the way the human brain works, right? You experience something pleasurable, um, dopamine is created. You smell a flower, you go for a walk, you hug your spouse, dopamine comes out. Mm. That's what happens. Well, these devices, so much dopamine is being released that real life cannot compare. So that is why your kids complain about boredom. If you turn off the screen, you say, no, we're taking a break. You know, you just had that. We're taking a break. And your kids are just complaining of boredom. It's not necessarily their fault. It's that the chemicals in their brain are telling them, this is not the same as when I have that screen in front of me. So when you take a cold turkey two-week break, you're actually resetting those levels back down to normal. Mm. Um, now, some families find that that first day or two can be an adjustment, and there are <laughs> some struggles. So that's not across the board. Um, and I was shocked, in fact, in our home, my kids, it was like we had flipped a switch. They just started playing with other things, and it was wonderful. Wow. It's not always the case. And so <laughs> that's why I recommend starting with a break, all hands on deck. If it's you know a single-parent household, if you have a, you know, a neighbor or grandma or grandpa who can be there to help kind of tune up that relational aspect with the kids, I recommend doing that. So we're speaking with Molly DeFrank. The book is called Digital Detox, and it's available on her website, and that website is mollydefrank.com. It's also on Amazon. I have the introduction to your book open right here, Molly, and it, it's, it's almost hard to believe, but I'm taking you at your word. Your 10-year-old daughter came up to you and said, Mom, thank you so much for taking our screens away. For those <laughs> listening right now that have children, particularly teenagers, where, oh my goodness, the addictions— um, if they have a hard time believing that, could you explain a little bit of the details on how that came to be? Yeah, I was just as shocked as you were. I couldn't believe it. Um, I still remember where I was sitting in my dining room when she said that because I was so surprised. And it was not right away. To be sure, you know, when we broke the news to the kids about the detox, there were a lot of tears. These are their favorite hobbies. You know, my, my three oldest kids, their favorite hobbies were each a different video game. And I thought, that's normal. That's how kids play these days. That's okay, I guess, even though it wasn't my preference. But it wasn't until after we gave the kids this extended time period, this opportunity to reawaken a love of non-screen fun that they finally, we, weeks or months later, came out and my daughter unprompted, unpromptedly thanked, thanked me mm -hmm. for the detox because she knew and it, she understood it after. Um, and, you know, that's the parent's role is we get this, we have this long-term, long-game view that our kids don't quite have yet. So we get to look at the whole situation, whereas they're still learning how to delay gratification. They're still learning why it's better to wait on some things or why it's better to not binge on, you know, you notice with candy or any other sweets or junk food. It's like we have to set these limits for our youngest kids. Hmm. Um, and it's not until later that the gratitude comes. And sometimes it may not. But still, parents, we are we are guiding and shepherding our kids mm. because that's God's call on our lives. Yes, and um, you know it's not it's not always about giving our kids the thing that they're asking for because they don't always know what's best, and and that's the the role of a parent. So while it was definitely hard on initially, um, it it has absolutely been the 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 rewards have been hard to overstate. And it started with my daughter saying thank you, which hmm. blew me away. Wow. Um, we're still, I, I know a lot of our listeners are probably still trying to grasp a, a good understanding of this, of how you actually and practically do this for your children, no matter what the ages are. I would imagine the older your kids are, for example, if they're 16, it would be a lot harder to pull off this detox if they were 8 or 9 or 10. Can you share a little bit about that? Definitely. Yeah, so the book itself is geared probably more towards parents up to like, you know, 11, 12, 13. Um, but the principles can absolutely be applied 
for older kids. There are two main things I recommend if your kids are older. Um, I still recommend getting the book, but the, a couple of tweaks to the detox. Um, first of all, when you're young kids, three, four, five, um, you tell them, hey, we're taking a break from screen time for the next couple weeks. Um, th- that's okay. You can do that to, to young kids. Um, you don't necessarily have to give up all your devices at the same time, although it's a good idea to look at your device use. Um, but when your kids are older, six, you know, 14, 15, and you say, hey, you're, you're taking a break. We're, give me the phone. I'm putting it in a box for two weeks. That doesn't really fly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it looks a little different because that, that role of parent changes from when our kids are little, we're more authoritative. And as they get older and they're heading towards 18, we're more of like that coach mentor role. So it can be a little trickier for parents. So I recommend that parents for older kids get a little skin in the game. So choose an aspect of your technology use to detox alongside your older kids, whether that be social media or a game you really like, whatever it is, um, go, go in it with them. Um, and it's also a really good opportunity to explain to those kids, hey, this is super tricky. Like the older you get, the more technology is integrated with how you work. I do grocery shopping. I talk to your teachers on here. So I, I and yet I still want to get this thing right. I, it matters for me and for you. And so, you know, share that, open that conversation with them, ask them questions, have humility in the conversation, um, share what you've been learning. So I really recommend for older kids, it's, it's kind of like a beckoning tone, mm-hmm. um, sort of like if you were inviting your family, trying to recruit them to do a whole 30 with you you'd be excited about the possibilities at the end of it. You know, you wouldn't rush in and go, okay, no cheese, no sugar, no bread. You know, <laughs> it, that would be awful. <laughs> you would say, guys, I've been reading about this thing. We're going to feel great at the end of it. Listen to the data about what these things can um, cause about these video games and, and what's going on. Look at this Wall Street Journal article about how social media is harming teenage girls. What do you think about that? Have you noticed anything like that? So really kind of bring your kids and help them develop that muscle of looking at what is true and, and, you know, taking thoughts captive and taking our devices and putting them in the right place. And so really um, it's, it's kind of neat with older kids actually, because they, they're making their own decisions. So Mm. you're going to really want to turn up that relational aspect with your kids though, too. You're not just unplugging and running. Um, That's going to, that kind of detox will crash and burn. You really want to, amp up their relational connection with your kids. So kids spend approximately four to six hours a day. That's if they're between eight and 12 years old watching or using screens. Now I've read some reports where it's a, a lot more than that. Um, not necessarily on a screen or, but they've got their laptop open. They're on their iPhone. Their you know, television is on in the background. You know, we, we didn't have that growing up. Uh, we're a lot of our audience, Molly, I think it is, I'm guessing, even older than you are. And uh, I grew up with playing Pac-Man before the internet and, uh, yes. you know, uh, before video games really took off to the, where they are today. And my goodness, that's a whole nother topic of how really dark and violent and perverse some of these video games are. But I'm thinking, well, yeah, we, we're just struggling with Pac-Man, you know, but, but video game addiction is a very real thing. I think you make that point that it's now a globally recognized illness. So that is, as well as screen addiction, is that globally recognized? Yeah, yeah. That internet addiction, gaming addiction is recognized by the World Health Organization. You're right. And it's become this huge issue. And part of the problem is that we, you know, as parents who grew up decades ago, I'll say, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and so much has changed. Um, the way that they've baked the, these addiction points into the technology, this is not Pac-Man. Mm. This is not, <laughs> you know, Little House on the Prairie on Saturday mornings or Saturday morning cartoons. There is no end to the online consumption that That's our right. kids have access to. Um, not to mention the fact that when we were kids, there was there was a rating system in place. You know, you couldn't get access to the kinds of explicit content that our kids are just holding in their hands. So um, now when you hand your kid any device that connects to the internet, it's not just smartphones, um, a tablet, a laptop, you hand over access to Wi-Fi, and now you've opened up communication with any stranger, with any um, explicit content. I think two-thirds of all internet downloads are pornographic. Wow. Um, This is huge. Mm. So our kids really need us to kind of wake up 
and get back in the driver's seat here. It's, the stakes are so high. Um, and, and I think we know that we're get, kind of getting these nudges, but life moves quickly and we're busy. And so, you know, another half hour, another hour, another device they're asking. Sometimes it's easier to give in, but I just want to encourage parents that you can, you have what it takes. God has given mm-hmm. you this role, um, this, to be this authority in your child's life, um, to make these parameters and at the same time, amping up that connection, that relationship with your kids to help them wade through this, um, we know that you live in the neighborhood you live in. I think it's Acts 19 or Acts 26 says that God chose where we would live, mm-hmm. when we would live there. Um, and so we don't have to despair over the technology that's available to our kids that's bombarding us. We just need to roll up our sleeves. Um, and the book, Digital Detox, really helps parents do that. It's, it's a guide that I wish that we had before mm-hmm. we started. Yes. Um, and it just has everything you need to get back in that driver's seat. We've got to take our first break. The website is mollydefrank.com. The book is called Digital Detox. Studies continue to show that uh, there are certain types of technology and digital media use. It's very harmful, as I think most of us would probably agree. Yes. So we'll talk about more of the solutions, but we'll talk about some of these symptoms and disorders that kids can have when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Molly DeFrank. And this book, I know it will help you guys. Um, Most families, I'm sure, are struggling with this. Unless you homeschool and are with your kids a lot of the times because we talk about hours of influence. But it's called Digital Detox. And uh, the principles are about a two-week tech reset for your family. So, Molly, before we get into uh, more of this, we were talking before we got back on the air about when you first put this out there. I mean, this is not just an American family problem or a Christian problem on how raising kids in a tech age. This went international. Of course, it's a, it's a problem with humanity. I don't think, and most of us would probably agree, that we weren't meant to take on all this information and technology and to be wired and attached to screens uh, during our lives, right? I don't think humans were were meant for that. But share a little bit about that, how this took off and you got some international attention. Yeah, I was completely shocked. A a couple years ago, um, I had shared a a photo of my kids all reading. They had one morning (laughs) after our detox, they, they climbed, my husband and I woke up on a Saturday morning and we were just reading our books. And the kids walked in one by one and saw that we were reading and they picked up their own books and just climbed into bed with us. And before I knew it, there were, you know, at the time it was five kids. All five of them were lined up reading and my husband had gotten up to get ready for the day. And I said, you need to take a picture of this. It's so cute. <laughs> and I posted online and I talked about our detox. I said, man, I, I can't believe this. Usually on Saturday morning, the kids are watching cartoons or playing on devices, but now they just, I didn't even prompt them. And the photo went really kind of crazy and was <laughs> people translated it. I heard from people in Turkey and Italy and um, Al Jazeera picked it up. And I, I just couldn't believe it. But I think to your point, it really showed me that this is such a pervasive problem. Mm-hmm. This is a humanity issue. Like you were saying, you know, um, we are not wired mm-hmm. to be mindlessly numbed out. We're not wired to be entertained around the clock. And when that's what we do, it's, it really brings it to our detriment and to our kids. And unfortunately, we sometimes um, do this trade-off thing where we're like, gosh, another 30 minutes, we can just have the peace and quiet. It's these digital babysitters, these digital pacifiers. And then we pay for it later. And But even more importantly, our kids aren't developing the way that they have for, for thousands of years, and they're not getting what they need. So, And I don't say that... Um, you know, we don't have to despair. There is absolutely a way to turn this around. So mm-hmm. if parents are feeling shame or stressed about this, you don't need to, you don't need to wallow in that. You know, we can, right. we can turn it around, we can roll up our sleeves, and we can take the steps necessary. Our, the brain is actually plastic. Um, it can be rewired, which is so encouraging. I read a lot of research about that. Um, so there's absolutely a way out, and um, it, it's simpler than you think. Mm-hmm. So 
a follow-up question. By the way, I saw that picture. I don't remember if it was uh, in on your website or Instagram or on Facebook, but uh, the kids, it looked like, no, this has to be staged. But no, then I thought, no, she wouldn't do that because you're obviously showing the success of this digital detox with all the kids reading books. I'm going, oh my goodness, that is, that is a provocative <laughs> picture and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be yeah. a provocative picture. But so the follow-up question to that would be, should parents, is it necessary for parents to set the example and participate in the family's technology detox? Yeah, great question. <laughs> so, so you know, I get, I got this question. It's probably the most when I, uh, the most common question I get is, did you detox with your kids? And frankly, the answer is no, we didn't do a detox alongside our kids. Um, and, you know, my oldest kid, gosh, I'm trying to think that was three years ago. So I, she must have been nine when we started our detox. And what I tell parents is, look, in the same way that you tell your young kids, okay, it's bedtime, it's eight o'clock, you need to go to bed when your kids are young, you don't also put yourself to bed at eight. You know, you're a grown up, they're a kid, you, there are some rules that you implement on your, for your kids that you don't also have to do. However, um, the data shows us, the studies show that the way you model your tech use says a whole lot mm. more to your kids yes. than the, what you tell them to do about it. So I absolutely recommend that parents take a look at their technology use. Um, and the last chapter of the book, Digital Detox, is actually about that exact thing. I finally did detox myself. I grabbed some friends. I said, you want to do this thing with me? And we had to modify it because, you know, for especially for working parents or for, um, you know, if you've got kids in school, mm -hmm. you can't just lock all your devices away. Our, our lives are so heavily integrated with technology. Um, so, so we did modify detoxes. And, and it, the results were... Inc really encouraging and, it, and surprising how easy it was to give up these things that we were spending hours a day on um, and how great we felt. So, so yeah, I do recommend, I mean, if you're willing and able, um, sometimes we get one spouse who's really gung-ho about a detox <laughs> and the other spouse, not so much. So um, I, actually, I actually have a guide in the back of my book to help um, convince a skeptical spouse. So um, but yeah, you don't have to, but I do recommend kind of taking a look, having some good conversations. Okay. One thing I wanted to ask you, Molly, uh, the book is obviously geared toward parents that have young children or up until, you know, teenagers that are really uh, p potentially addicted to tech and social media and need to detox. But what about for adults listening right now, uh, Christian parents, maybe their kids are out of the house uh, maybe they're at college or whatever. Um, this is also good for us because for for those who are uh, maybe a little bit too uh, um, quick to jump into getting all the news possible and being on the iPhone or on their laptop or something all the time because of just these are habits. So these principles, a lot of them, I'm guessing, are applicable for adults as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we weren't meant to carry all of the world's ills on our back. Um, we weren't meant to be connected with every person on the planet. And, and we can feel it. When we put down the device and you put down Twitter or whatever it is, you can, you know, there's, you, sometimes you don't feel good. It feels like you just ate three Snickers bars. <laughs> um, and yet there can also be a place for this technology. So what I really encourage um, families with is, you're not trying to eliminate all technology forever. At least that's the posture most families take. That's the posture we take. Um, what we're trying to do is you're, take, you're starting with a detox, and then you're trying to put technology in its right place in your home. So it's going to look a little different in every family. Um, for us, we went from, for our kids, one to two hours a day of gaming, of, of digital interactive media, and we through after our detox, now it's one hour once a week of an approved video game for our older kids. Our younger kids, we found by after I read the research um, and after just observing them, we realized, gosh, there's really no reason for our young kids up to, you know, eight to have interactive screen time because it brings out the worst in them. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, we're foster parents. So especially with our kids from trauma backgrounds, mm -hmm. they have been exposed to these stress hormones, adrenaline or cortisol, wow. um, just as young, young kids. And so when kids are doing these interactive games, you're, their brains are being bathed in cortisol. And we can see the effects on some of these kids. Um, and, you know, everyone has probably a different, little bit of a different tolerance. But, um, but yeah, the, the whole 
thing, the whole book, is really about helping families find that right balance. Mm. And the reason why I recommend going cold turkey is because most parents are already trying to adjust minutes every day and not working. And this is the way that we've found it it worked (laughs) in our family, and I've helped so many families get through it, and they all say something to the effect of, I cannot believe how simple this was. I cannot believe how dramatic the results were. And it worked. Yes, and I've seen some of the testimonies, and it's interesting because most of us would think that a, a, a slower, gradual approach would be better, but no, we we really have to you know take a stand here and, and do what's best immediately because I'm going back to 1985 briefly, uh, Molly, when I was growing up. Um, there was a USA Today study that said, now this was just about television. The average American family spent five hours a day watching television. That was in 1985 before all the, the video game explosion, before uh, the iPhones, before the internet, and all everything that we have today. By the way, back then, that was 35 hours a week. There's a quote in one of your chapters called Unplug Cold Turkey by a doctor who said, by the age of seven years, a child born today will have spent one full year of 24-hour days watching screen media. Just to soak that in is really astounding. Just your thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. It is, it's really sobering, mm. that fact, that, um, that quote. Um, and you know, especially coming out of COVID um, and all these lockdowns that we went through, That's everything right. that families were put through, it's, it, you, this was a problem before COVID, but in the wake of it, we are seeing our kids, we are in the midst of the worst youth mental health crisis we have ever seen. Um, ER visits for girls ages 12 to 17 for eating disorders mm. have doubled over the course of the pandemic. And th- this isn't speculative here. Doctors are saying, they've studied this, and they're like, oh, there's, there are two underlying causes for this. It's, um, it's a, you know, mental health, underlying mental health problem, and also it's exposure to these videos on TikTok. Um, that are promoting these eating disorders. And so we, we can see where it's going. And so that's for older kids. For our younger kids, um, you know, I, occupational therapists have identified a new disorder they're calling virtual autism. Hmm. And it presents like autism, but it's not autism. It's actually kids who have been spending too much time in front of a screen and they, have, screen and they haven't developed um, some of the the skills and things that they need to do. Um, speech therapists are talking about new speech delays. I don't know if you saw recently the um, CDC relaxed milestones, speech milestones um, for kids right after COVID. And you know things are really changing. Yes. And unfortunately, we we've been kind of asleep at the wheel here, mm-hmm. assuming wrongly that the technology is the same. You know that it's the same as when we were kids. We would yeah. play. Pac-Man. I love Pac-Man and these things, but it's not the same. A lot has changed. And so, you know, we don't need to despair. We just need to work a little harder to kind of sort and sift and put things in their right place. We're speaking with author Molly DeFrank, and the book is called Digital Detox. It's available on Amazon and other sites, and also her website, mollydefrank.com. We've got five minutes left, and, you know, parents, actually, you referred to this study, and that was, I think, 93.6% of Americans increase their screen time because of COVID. And so measures, drastic measures should be taken now. I want to go to page 29 in your book briefly and just read some of these things that to me, looking at this list altogether, it's a little bit overwhelming, but eye-opening that um, children are susceptible to health, behavioral and cognitive and developmental problems related to certain types of digital media use. And the risks include delayed language development, Internet, gaming, addiction, reduced memory, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, ADHD diagnosis, uh, lower empathy, lower uh, literacy abilities, hampered deep reading abilities, aggressive behaviors, irritability, reduced social skills, difficulty with solitude, vision problems, underdeveloped emotional regulation skills, and avoidance of social interaction. Now, I didn't read all these things in the list, but people, Molly, they're listening right now. They're going, you're kidding me. I mean, these are a lot of things, and this all has to do with tech and digital media. Yes, and and that was 
shocking to me. So <laughs> I didn't know this going in to our detox. When I pulled the plug on my kids, it was, it was more, okay, mom's had it. We're taking a break. It wasn't this thing where I went through and, you know, academically did all the research and all of that. I only did that after. And mm. so that's why I wanted this guide to be, um, I wanted it to be the guide that I wish I had. And I wanted to give this to parents so they can see the science supports it, how high the stakes are, and how to get through it and come out on the other side um, without eliminating all technology forever. But it does start with that um, two-week cold turkey break. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the the stakes are really high here for parents. And I think the most surprising thing for my husband, he he remarked this after our detox. He said, you know, I just assumed that the, the screens were really causing the the, the biggest problem was right at the end of the screen time when they would kind of throw a fit or have a bad mood. But what, what blew him away most, and me too, is that the effects of screen time go so far beyond screen time. It's so much more than asking for a screen nonstop or complaining about boredom or the fit right after. It goes into, you know, their sleep, their vision, their um, ability to hold a pencil. There are so many, so many components to this that, um, we're trading out their, you know, the, the ways that kids have developed, the things they need to do, hang upside down on the monkey bars and, and run around outside these things that, that the kids need mm. that we got when we were little That's and right. kids aren't getting them today. And the other relational aspect, and we've just got two minutes left with Molly, um, in the question, answering the question, why is it relevant about this digital detox? It says in these notes, uh, parents, are having vastly fewer conversations with their kids today, which is sad, resulting in disconnection and distance in their relationships and loss of influence even in their kids' lives. We started out the podcast today, Molly, by just stressing the fact that these young children are developing their worldviews at very young ages, and technology is pouring into that more than church, the Bible, and family influence. So could you please, in the last minute or so we have, just encourage parents in this with it seems to be maybe to a lot of people overwhelming this task to digital detox yes definitely yeah i help great parents of amazing kids i who are just a little stuck a little bogged down by technology um you know historically parents have been the the people who are divinely ordained to shepherd our kids to form those worldviews to be that primary relationship in their lives and we are willingly relinquishing this role, we are handing it over to whatever influencer or YouTuber is in front of our kids. And um, it is to our children's detriment that we're doing that. So, you know, it's even great parents who are spending 20 minutes a day having face-to-face good devotional time, conversation, connecting with their kids. That's great. But if your kids are spending like the average eight hours a day for 12-year-olds, eight hours a day um, in front of a screen, the 20, 30 minutes cannot compete with that. Mm. Our kids are being discipled. They're being formed by something. And what, what we want to do is just take a moment to get a fresh start and get back in the driver's seat here. The stakes are way too high. Um, and it's so simple. I just want to encourage parents, you know, if you're stressed out about this, Anyone can do it. You don't have to be a Pinterest mom or be super organized. Um, God purposefully paired you with your kids, Mm -hmm. all of your flaws and all of your giftings, and he put you in charge in your home, and you have what it takes. And this guy, Digital Detox, helps you get through the rest of it. It's very practical. It's what to do when you're sitting at a restaurant and the kids are losing their mind. Um, it's, It's really just how to connect with your kids how to get how to take this influence back mm-hmm. so that our kids can really flourish. Amen. It's time to flip the switch and get your kids back. Thank you so much for the book Digital Detox, Molly DeFrank. God bless you. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Uh, when we come back, uh, one of the studies that just came out from Barna last week, shocking results concerning the worldview, this time of Christian pastors. Plus, what's that movie 2000 Mules about? and more do's and don'ts from the government when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. I was so blessed by that interview. I hope that was helpful to you guys. Um, good, Great principles in that book, and you can get that online. 
We'll put it in today's podcast post. Plus, there's a quiz we didn't get to ask Molly about. Um, there is a quiz that you can take, a digital detox quiz on our website. I want to just share something real quick over at the Washington Examiner. This came out, I believe, on Friday. Um, a pro-choice caucus calls on Democrats to stop calling abortion a choice. This is interesting how they're going to try to regulate language, and they're actually calling certain words uh, dangerous. Remember, Biden established a ministry of disinformation, right? So under harmful language, there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. This is related to the pro-life, pro-choice abortion battle. Harmful language. They say choice is a harmful. A better word would be decision. So they're watering it down even more. They're watering the murder of unborn children in mother's wombs even more. The next one, uh, they say reduce abortion, safe, legal, and rare. What they say is more helpful is to say safe, legal, and accessible. So they don't care if it's rare or not as long as abortion is accessible. Next, they, they say they warn against using the word unwanted pregnancy to say unexpected Pregnancy. I'm thinking, geez, if only they would teach abstinence. (laughs) At any abstinence education, they would go, okay, unexpected. Wow, she suddenly got pregnant at 13. How did that happen? Well, that was unexpected. Anyway, the next would be conscience or a conscience clause or protection. And they say what's more helpful is refusal of care or denial of care laws. So they're framing it as you are denying care of uh, young women if you are against abortion. And finally, unhelpful or dangerous is back alley abortions or coat hangers. They want to point to pro-lifers as criminalizing health care. That's how they want to start framing this thing. We're criminalizing health care. What do they mean by health care? They mean abortion, right? But abortion is not health care. We don't need to make that point on this podcast. Okay. So there's a shocking survey, a study by Barna and um, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. This is the next topic we'll briefly touch on. These results now concern the worldview of Christian pastors. I'm going to just ease into this because some of you, are your jaws are going to drop. Because Why? Because, let's see, back in March, I reported on a similar study that revealed a mere 2% of parents of preteens, meaning younger than 13, children younger than 13, parents in America, have a biblical worldview. 2%. You heard that correctly. The problem is they don't have a biblical worldview. They believe in all kinds of things. um, But a majority of them claim to be Christian. So now it's necessary to clarify and define what it is to be a true believer, and how to apply the Bible to our lives. Why? Too many have conformed to this world. They lack discernment. They have religious pluralism as a philosophy, meaning they'll take a little bit of uh, Buddhism or meditation or yoga or Hinduism, a little bit of New Age. They won't go full on into New Age, or you know, they're certainly not endorsing the occult. But you know what I mean? New Age, uh, uh, a consciousness, a higher power, Mother Earth, whatever else. They believe the coexist philosophy. They'll take a, they'll even take a little bit of Christianity. So that's the worldview of young parents today. So we're in a lot of trouble in 10, 20 years when their kids grow up. There will be virtually a non-existent biblical worldview in America if this if this continues. Now the study this time is on pastors, their philosophy, their worldview. Now it's common sense. It's natural to expect your church leaders in America particularly to have a proper understanding of Scripture. But the new nationwide survey of pastors shows, ready, a large majority do not even have a biblical worldview, period. Stop. Full stop. Now we're talking about Christian leaders, pastors. You heard it correctly. This then begs the question, what in the world are they teaching their congregations? So here's what George Barna said. One of the takeaways, quote, It certainly seems that if America is going to experience a spiritual revival, that awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits as in the pews. This research is another strong piece of evidence that the culture is influencing the American church more 
then Christian churches, churches are influencing the culture. The culture has more influence than the church. Now, that's not shocking considering our moral decline over the last 50-plus years. If you've read any of the books I've written or articles and we, things that we've talked about on this podcast for years, uh, you know that there are some, many of, many of our guests have been sounding the alarm about this compromise and decay for years. But let's get to the numbers real quick before we move on to uh, Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 Mules. Um, according to the research, slightly more than a third of Christian pastors have a biblical worldview. Did you hear that? 37%. That doesn't mean they're unbelievers. That means a majority possess what is referred to as a hybrid worldview, also known as syncretism. 62% of pastors and Christian leaders. What is syncretism? It simply means having a combination of different forms of belief or practice, often representing personal preferences. So that plays into your faith and worldview and what you are then teaching your congregations. Why is this so disappointing? Because we're referring to America's spiritual leaders, pastors, who should be deeply established on the truth of Christ, on the scriptures, and they should be sound in the doctrine they teach. They should handle accurately the Word of God, as Paul writes to Timothy and warns and cautions. So what's the consequence of pastors conforming to some of these worldly influences and adding these, a little bit of these philosophies into their biblical worldview, formerly biblical worldview, I guess? It's that people, the people that they lead, are likely to also lack a biblical worldview because they'll take in what they're taught and they'll go with the flow, right? So rather than study and live out the Bible, as a result, a lot of Americans today have a country club Christianity. Some seek to please man. They put progressive ideas, things that sound good, right, on the, on the surface. They put these things ahead of the Bible. What are those things? And we've heard all the buzzwords. Compassion, uh, social justice, diversity, inclusion, equity, being, quote, welcoming. What's that? Oh, some churches literally have rainbow flags outside the church. They don't have the Christian flag uh, or, or the cross. They'll have a rainbow flag. You know, that's happening, as, as you've seen pictures, I'm sure, of that. Or maybe there's one in your neighborhood, and this is sad. It's no wonder the church today is kind of going away in America. More churches are closing. It's not just because of COVID. This happened way, be way before COVID. How about a third takeaway, and then we've got to move on. The fact that seven out of eight youth pastors, now these are pastors that teach your children at church. Youth pastors and teach, I use that word lightly. Now they may be good at entertaining the kids, but they're pretty bad at doctrine, apparently, or discipleship. But this explains why so few people in the nation's youngest generations are developing a heart and mind for biblical principles and truth and ways of life and that's from Barna. So this research is available. I, this is my new article coming out tomorrow on this. Pastors lack biblical worldview. It's shocking to some of us to see the word pastors there. But now let's go on to um, some of the headlines. Don't have a chance to get into a lot of them because we're down to like five or six minutes here. But uh, CBN News has this article, British Microchip Implant Takes Hand Swipe Payments to the Next Level along with end times prophecy concerns. And uh, you can read up about that. We've talked a little bit about that on the podcast. But let's go to Dinesh D'Souza. He released a new documentary film called 2,000 Mules. It released uh, first week in May, just 300 theaters, but now there's an in-home virtual premiere. Um, there, you, there's ways you can download it digitally. And um, let's see, on two what they call uncancelable cancelable platforms, Rumble, <laughs> um, Salem media platform called Salem Now. There are six documentaries, but in an age of censorship, you have to create a novel way of distributing them, Dinesh says. But he says, I want to talk about mules and donkeys. Strictly speaking, a mule is a cross between a horse and a donkey. He said, a few months after I came to the United States as an exchange student from India, my host parent in Arizona took me to the Grand Canyon. We can try to walk down, they told me, or we can ride a mule. Well, we chose to walk, but on the way down, we saw mules carrying tourists and sure-footedly making their way down the treacherous pathways to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. 
The term mule is now commonly used in drug trafficking and sex trafficking. The mule, in quotes, is the middleman, the guy who makes the transport. Now, there are election intelligence organizations. One in particular is called True the Vote. True the Vote borrowed this term to apply it to the paid political operatives who engage in ballot trafficking, ballot voting, ballot trafficking. Mules are professional delivery men and women who are hired by left wing organizations to deliver fraudulent and illegal ballots to mail in drop boxes. So now let's talk about the evidence briefly. The organization purchased 10 trillion pings of cell phone data, ping, cell phone data. Basically, they bought um, the data covering all cell phone movements in the, in the key urban areas of five swing states in which the 2020 election was decided. True the Vote then ran a search algorithm seeking to ferret out mules, the middlemen, who picked up stashes of ballots from left-wing organizations embedded in those cities and then made delivery drops of those ballots to 10 or more drop boxes. The astounding thing, friends, I saw the trailer. I didn't see the whole thing yet. But there's video evidence of these mules, these people literally loading, taking ballots out of a bag or a box and putting them in the mailboxes and delivering it to some of these places. It really is astounding. But what did the media do in 2020? They looked the other way. Nothing to see here. Move along. And that was the government-run propaganda, the talking points. Nothing to see here. Move along. This is shocking. I shouldn't. Uh, no, no. I'm, I take that back. It's not shocking. It's eye-opening that they didn't really pursue this. There were some investigations, yes, state to state. Some of them revealed uh, certain things, and then they were kind of minimized by the media. Others couldn't get the truth out because of the one party big tech media conglomerate in our country. And we started off this podcast talking to Molly DeFrank about her book, Digital Detox. We're also, we've talked a lot about censorship, haven't we? We've talked about communist policy in America. We've talked about them taking the over, over the airwaves, the television, the Hollywood, the movies, and, and, and the media. So this, we're in a very dangerous times if you believe in a free republic in our constitution. But so uh, there's so much more, and I'll put this article in our podcast notes Uh, It's from Dinesh D'Souza of Mules and Donkeys. Um, It's smoking gun evidence of what they call the greatest and most brazen fraud in history. It's fascinating, friends. At least go read this article at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Tomorrow, another Californian will be with us, Kevin McGarry of Every Black Life Matters. He'll expose more darkness and lies with the truth. You'll hear from former transgender Laura Perry on Wednesday, Don Vino of Midwest Christian Outreach on Thursday, and Jonathan Brentner is back on Friday. And my goodness, he's got a new article called Pastors Boycotting Bible Prophecy Are Sabotaging the Sleeping Church. More on Stand Up For The Truth every day. We thank you for the shares of the podcast. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.